Is this thing on? Is uh, anyone out there? Well, if you're listening, welcome to Little Talks. Little Talks is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a conversation between me and you. No scripts, nothing prepared. It's just whatever comes to mind. Or whatever I feel like talking about. Uh, before we start, though, a few things first. How are you? I hope you're doing well. I hope you're trying to beat the heat. It's been a little bit more than excessive lately. Also, if you're doing good, doing bad, whatever it is you're doing, know that you can beat it. Know that you can be better than this. Oh, one final thing. Today's music, uh, comes from the interwebs. Specifically, it was made by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. He's got a tremendous YouTube channel. Check them out. They're kind enough to provide a solo with free background music so long as we credit them. So we'll be adding a link to our podcast description. That's Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. So today, I wanted to talk about something that you know, I almost hear no one talk about, but it's something that has to do with a soul. And that's the social contract. So what exactly is the social contract? And what does it have to do with any of us? Well, let's stick around and let's find out a little bit. I was reminded about this when I was watching Dr. Stone for the second or third time. I forget how many times I've seen Dr. Stone. If you haven't seen it, I think you should check it out. It's a fairly good anime. It got a lot of hype, and I think it was uh, well-deserved. Anyway. There's a wonderful scene in Dr. Stone. Where our two main leads at the time, Senku and uh, Subasa, They're talking about what the new world needs. And what it doesn't need. And... Uh, well, Senku wants to restore things to what they were. And Subasa sees the events that have transpired as a new lease on the entire world. And so he does not want to bring back the established powers, because why would you want to? I kept watching, the episode ended, another one started, but that little thing stuck with me. Because it reminded me of this social contract. It reminded me of this idea that, you know, it's not mine. It's, it's not an original idea of mine. Even the name isn't mine. You can Google it and you can find that it originally came from a philosopher, a fellow named Rousseau. He was French. And Rousseau talked about the idea that humanity at its earliest stages was free and this was the only moment when they were free because as soon as the notion of civilization came we traded away some of those freedoms for security for stability for rule of law basically what Rousseau was saying was that none of us are really free because we are all a part of civilization or a part of society and every society has rules like 
steal, do not kill, do not rape, do not do any of the very awful, awful things that unfortunately a lot of people seem to do. And I got to thinking, well, some of these ideas are good. I like the whole do not kill, do not steal, do not commit unspeakable crimes upon your fellow human being. But then you have other things that I don't like. Other ideas that I don't agree with. And again, we go back to the whole Dr. Stone. When you are born, you're born into this system. And you don't really get to choose anything. And maybe you're thinking, of course you don't get to choose anything. You're a baby. How would you know? Listen to what I'm trying to say, though. It's okay to be given a name. It's okay to be given a place. What isn't okay is the fact that as soon as we're born, we have to stick to certain rules. Rules that no one can change. Rules that no one really had a say in. For example, it was at a very early age when I learned of what was rent. And we all pay rent and we all hate to pay rent, but we all pay rent. And we pay rent because all these things belong to someone. Because this land belongs to somebody, the buildings, and it doesn't belong to the owners, at least not in the US, it belongs to the banks. And the banks themselves don't belong to the government, they belong to a specific select few. Those people have always owned these banks. Or at least, it's been in their families for as long as you can go. You have to go a long way back in order to see at what point we went from freedom, from the fact that the land didn't belong to anybody, to the fact that the land, the land belonged to somebody. I was watching just, just a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the movie Prey. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's actually a pretty good Predator movie. Uh, don't listen to any of the critics. It's pretty good. I'm sorry about the pause. I'm just... It's just really hot, so I'm just trying to get some of the sweat off my face. I got the fan on and it's still not really doing it. Anyway, there's this really great shot at the beginning of Prey where they show where the uh, Native Americans live. I can't exactly remember the tribe, I'm sorry. But they show where they live. They show the year, it's like 17 something, it's probably like 50 years uh, before the whole uh, declaration of independence thing goes on here in the United States and it takes place here in the US and I love that shot because it shows what earth really is or what it really was before we got it all dirty before we started putting concrete everywhere before we started throwing trash everywhere the land was green the forests were lush, the water was clean, and it's not something that I think we'll ever get back to. And it's the same way, as that, I asked that question about where I live now. I, I live in California, I live in a very urban area of California, and sometimes 
I go outside and I look around and I see nothing but concrete and I think to myself, what did this place look like? Well, maybe not a hundred years ago, but a hundred and fifty years ago, or two hundred years ago. Somebody once described it as paradise. That it was a luscious land, that it was the only place to be, and that people should risk all life and limb to get here. And a lot of people did, and most people got here safe, but some people didn't. If you've ever heard the word Donners, or the Donner Party, then you know that story very well. If not, then maybe we can talk about that story some other time. I think it's important and interesting enough that it deserves its own episode. Going back to Dr. Stone for a little bit, I like the idea that was brought up there. The notion that if there was a reset, would we really go back to the ways of the old or would we try to carve up something new this was especially interesting to me when the pandemic first started the pandemic of 2020 well in hindsight was an awful thing it really was i can't say enough about how many people died and how many people are still suffering from the effects of that awful awful illness but it could have been worse it definitely could have been worse i remember hearing about it in december i remember hearing about it in february and thinking to myself well, this thing sounds like it's going to get really really serious but nobody really knew how and when they started using the word pandemic i thought of the things i thought about the spanish flu and i thought about the black death and the second one specifically, well, that wiped out a third of Europe. It left a lot of places just empty. To the point where nature itself took back those little villages that were cleared out. You know, the places where no one survived. Forests grew over there because there was no one there to fight nature back. And so they disappeared. So when I was handed my... Uh, papers when I was told you have to go home March 31st and the rest of my buddies were mad my co-workers they were mad because well they were basically losing their jobs I don't really think they were thinking about what was exactly going to happen I sure was I didn't really care about my job at that moment you start throwing the word around pandemic and I start thinking well 25 30 million people are going to die the streets are going to be empty and society as we know it is going to crumble it's going to collapse it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks to say the least and if things really go bad then maybe what we know as society what we know as civilization is about to change and we are here to witness that and unfortunately we're going to have to adapt to all of this and these were the thoughts that were going through my head as i was going home that day i was relieved to a certain extent because i'm not a big fan of where i work i enjoy it uh, the work is interesting the pay could be better but sometimes you do need a break i hadn't taken a break in quite a while so I saw the whole 
well, go home for two weeks and then we'll find out. I saw that as exactly that. It's going to be a two-week vacation. But again, the word pandemic was being thrown about and people didn't know what this thing was going to do. So maybe I come back in two weeks. Maybe I never come back here at all. Maybe the established notions of rent, rule, government, maybe all that won't be as important two weeks from now. Because people will be out there looking out for themselves. And you see, that is the spirit of the social contract itself. Because Rousseau stated that the social contract only works if people believe in it. If people subconsciously accept to go by what it entails, you know, the notion of civilization and rule and law and order, all these things we just accept because, well, there's nothing we can do about it. A five-year-old can't go and say, why do I have to follow these rules? Why do I have to go to school? An 18-year-old can't say, why do I have to uh, pay rent? Why do I have to use money? Why do I have to follow the rules of the road or the rules of government none of us can really ask any of these questions i mean we can ask them we're asking them now but there's almost no point to it there's very little we can do to change them and i know what you're about to say you might say but we can vote we can be a part of our community that's how we change things but I wonder if that's true. I had a teacher. Well, I hope I have a teacher. I haven't heard from her in a while. I hope she's still around. But that's what she used to say all the time. She used to say, vote, be a part of your community. That's the only way we change the world. And I remember her saying that just before the recession of 2008. And again, we have the benefit of hindsight so we can see exactly what was going on. We can see how all these very big corporations, these banks, we know they were gaming the system. We know they were doing things that they were not supposed to do. Things that were only legal because people in power made them legal so that they could profit from them i don't have all the details go watch the big short uh watch videos about the 2008 crisis they're all very interesting because they all lend us the notion they they prove the point that no matter what we do there's people out there who will always take advantage of their positions of power to remain in power and to profit as much as possible regardless of what happens to the rest of us that's the social contract that is the idea of living in a civilized society that's what it is <laughs> i think the monkeys and the animals have it easier you don't see them fighting each other of a percentage right and if you know where i'm where i got that line from then you know that i'm I'm cleaning it up a little bit. <laughs> so, the social contract was directly in my mind on that drive home as well. 
Because all I could think of is what happens when all these little things that we take for granted stop coming. What happens when we go to the supermarket and there's no food? What happens if we turn on the water at home and there's no water? Our system is very fragile and a lot of people saw that for the first time. And I think it freaked a lot of people out. I think um, the anxiety, the fear, the uncertainty that a lot of people live with nowadays is because they had their eyes open. They saw for the first time that this safe experience, this safe existence that they've enjoyed their entire lives. I'm talking about people who live here in the US and in other first world countries. It's all a lie. It's, it's a bad joke because it relies on the backs of people who do really hard work. It relies on people who absolutely, positively have to be at their jobs. A couple of weeks after I was sent home, I'm watching the news and the pandemic is full on, full on. And they're interviewing truckers. I'm sure you must have seen this because a lot of people saw these types of interviews. They asked the truckers, are you guys going to go home? Are you going to stop driving trucks? And the truckers uh, nonchalantly said, no, we can't stop. I know the rest of the country shut down, but we are an essential service. And that's when they laid down something that a lot of people, I think, really weren't aware of. They said, if the trucks stop coming, you're all going to die. Because at any given time, a major metropolitan area only has enough food for about two to three weeks. Think about that. A major city in the United States only has enough food for about two weeks. That means that every two weeks, without any of you seeing it, without any of you really knowing it, that supply gets replenished. And anyone who's worked in retail, anyone who's worked at a supermarket, anyone who's worked where a logistic chain is established, understand how these truckers are coming and going, how they're constantly resupplying everything that we use so that we can use it. It's not stored here. It's, it's simply impossible to store things here. So they have to come and go. And it's, it's really commendable to see these people risk their lives because that's what they were doing. They were risking their lives. At the time, there was no um, vaccine. And they had to work. And so they did work. And there was a lot of people like that who, because of their work, because of their, well, I guess the word courage, I don't think it's appropriate here. Because of their efforts, society didn't fall. But we really were at a nexus point. The society really could have fallen. Life as we know it could have changed for the worse if these people had simply decided to hunker down 
and wait for things to get better because that's basically what we were told and uh, there's a lot of mixed feelings a lot of mixed thoughts about that a lot of people seem to think that the lockdowns were good other people seem to think that all the lockdowns did was destroy a lot of small businesses uh, they that they did more bad that they than good i'm not an expert in any of these things i cannot tell you if things uh, would have been better if they had shut down the way they shut down all i can really say selfishly is that i enjoy the time off i wish it wouldn't have happened at the expense of what happened i think too many people died i think people could have been saved i think there were a lot of failures and that uh, better information to the public um they were there was um ideas uh, advice that could have been given to people and i think that would have saved some people too and it wasn't done and the saddest thing is that the people in power aren't going to be held accountable for that because oh it's a pandemic that's what they're going to say we weren't responsible it was a pandemic and even that's being put into question nowadays because the notion of whether this thing was natural or man-made is now in question a lot of people used to say that was craziness how could this thing be engineered but now again with time it's come out that maybe just maybe that's not a crazy notion maybe it was man maybe it was something they weren't supposed to be doing and they were doing it anyway now what what does any of this have to do with the social contract well the social contract only works if we believe in it but if there's enough fear if there's enough doubt if there is enough uncertainty then all those rules go out the window and then we return to that primal nature that beginning of humankind as russo said where there were no rules and people humanity was really free i don't think russo really knew what he was talking about in the earliest of creation myths whether you're a christian or not whether you believe in the bible or not every culture has a creation story and the oddest thing about all these creation stories is that well the creator establishes life and you won't read a section where heaven where the creator after the creator establishes life uh, he basically goes around and says okay you guys can do whatever you want that doesn't really happen instead the creator gives people rules basically tells them do things this way and you'll be fine and it is the folly of man to think we know better and so they do things different whatever culture you're from whatever it is you choose to believe this is universal so as much as i enjoy the notion of a social contract i don't think it's a real thing i think mankind has never wanted for that kind of freedom because it hasn't been a good thing and to desire that kind of freedom i think a lot of people don't understand 
the intricacies of it. And let me put down an example. The last couple of years, people have been talking about uh, the 1% and eating the rich and going back. And well, there's a certain slogan on a certain red hat, which uh, a lot of people seem to think, hey, this is a good idea. Let's uh, let's do this. But again, not really thinking about what it would entail. The system is designed the way it is because it's really fragile. To change it would mean disrupting the lives of, well, not just us, not, not just the people in this country. It would definitely involve more people. It would involve maybe the entire world because this system doesn't apply just to this country. It's a system that's been accepted, established around the world. Whatever happens in one country affects another country. We're seeing that now. How many of you are complaining about high gas prices? I think we all are. And while there are some people who will say, well, this is just uh, the greedy corporations who want more money, maybe a certain war in a certain place has also, you know, something to do with it. I don't know. I'm not an expert in the geopolitics of Europe. I, I don't know anything about all that stuff. I can only see and make observations just like you. And just like you, I think we understand fully well that our system is intertwined. There's no way we can make the changes that people want to make and not disrupt our daily lives. Now, does that mean that all of this um, is permanent? These rules, these injustices, all the little sufferings that we endure on a day-to-day -day basis. Does that mean that uh, no one can change these things? Well, no. It doesn't mean that at all. People like to think that everything is permanent. But history is a great teacher and basically it teaches us that that is not the case. Every civilization that has risen has fallen. And our particular civilization is no different. It's very fragile. Any little push could send it off a cliff. And the pandemic of 2020 was a very big push. And a lot of people, like I've said before, a lot of people worked to make sure that didn't happen. To continue the social contract as it is. However, it wouldn't take something very big in order to uh, destroy that notion forever. Think about GPS. GPS is something that we all have on our phones. We take for granted. It's a part of our culture. It's a part of our day-to-day -day lives. But the reality is, is, is that GPS is a very fragile system maintained by the U.S. And if someone wanted to do something bad, if they wanted to harm this country with a terrorist act, well, 
that's a really good target. They could, and it would disrupt everything about our lives. It wouldn't only affect the US, it would affect the rest of the world because everyone relies on GPS. It would be a big change. It would really, really disrupt the way we do things. And uh, it would be hard for us to get back to it. It would be hard to return to it again. You know, well, people are talking about, well, there's other systems now in place that could be used as GPS if those satellites were to fall. Yeah, but how often do we make smooth transitions like that? Come on. The pandemic was a clear example of that. Look at how many people had differing opinions on treatments and advice and how much of it worked, how much of it didn't work. It was a mess. And that's just one little thing. There are so many little strings where you could pull and pull and pull and a whole structure would collapse. It's really that simple. So, for now, we exist as we are. We try to get by as we are. And I wasn't trying to say any of these things to scare you. That is not my purpose. We're just having a conversation. We're just stating things, ideas, that you're already very well aware of. You push them out of your mind, you go about your day, and I hope you are having a good day. I hope you're well. But it's the truth. So, there's a lot more things we can say about the social contract. But I wanted to talk about one other thing before we go. Because unfortunately, we can never stay for too long, right? We're always going. This is what I wanted to talk to you about. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was at work. I can't remember the exact task. I got a notification on my phone from Netflix. I opened my phone, look at it. The new Resident Evil Netflix series is now available. I was stoked. Like, oh, cool. New Resident Evil. I wonder what kind of story they're going to tell. Are they going to adapt something? Is it something original? What are they going to do? We'll find out. I'm going to watch the first episode when I get home. So the rest of the day went by, and sure enough, I got home, I got comfortable, I got something to eat. And I put it on. And after, I don't know, how long was it? Half an hour, 40 minutes, I turned it off. Having yelled at TV enough, I decided to not watch the second episode because I wanted to meditate about the first one. I wanted to think about what I had just seen and what it meant for the story going on. And here's the kicker. Did I really want to continue watching the rest of this series? This is not a review on Netflix Resident Evil. I'm not doing that. I didn't watch enough of it to really pass judgment. I know, I broke my own rule. I'm always telling you here to watch at least three episodes, at least five episodes, in order to get yourselves a 
good idea, not just a glimpse. You want a good idea of what this series entails. And sometimes, sometimes a season itself is not enough. I remember a decade ago, more than a decade now, uh, Fox had this television series. It was called Fringe. And Fringe ran for about five seasons. That last season was kind of cut short due to a writer's strike. You can read all about that on the internet. That writer's strike uh, affected a lot of TV shows. A lot of them went unfinished. A lot of them had endings that were subpar. And a lot of that had to do with the writer's strike. And uh, Fringe was one of those series that was affected. And I can tell you for a fact, this coming from someone who was a fan, I enjoyed it. I recently rewatched some of it and it holds up. But that first season of Fringe is uh, not great. It's, uh, it's really not great. It works for the most part. But, it, but the series doesn't really come into its own until the second season and the third season where the grand plan of what they wanted to do is finally revealed. So it took a while. It took Fox basically trusting that this story would unfold in such a way that people would be invested. And that's exactly what happened. There's a lot of people nowadays that remember Fringe with fond memories. Even though that first season was not good. It doesn't matter. We don't remember that it wasn't good. We remember the fact that it had enough time to establish its universe, its character motivations, its setting. It did all the work possible for the story to just take off and run in season two and season three and so on and so forth. Sometimes that's exactly what needs to happen. There has to be given time. And nowadays, that's a luxury that storytellers, showrunners, anybody who works in TV, especially uh, specifically making uh, television for the streaming services, you don't have the luxury of time. You have to be good right away. You have to grab people's uh, interest right away. You can't seem to be seen stumbling out of the gate because maybe maybe you're not but if there is a perception that you're stumbling out of the gate that's enough to it's enough for them to say you know what we're gonna pull the plug on this and that's exactly what happened with resident evil with the netflix series i was going to make this recording a little bit earlier But a few things got in the way. So we're recording now. And as of this moment, the Resident Evil Netflix series was cancelled after one season. In fact, it didn't happen this moment. It happened a couple weeks ago. So I'm thinking to myself, it came out like a couple weeks back. And now it's cancelled. And whatever ideas they wanted to realize, well, they'll never be realized. Whatever story they really wanted to tell, well, they'll never really get a chance to tell it. And I suspect that a lot of that has to do with that first episode. Because that first episode, well, 
To say that it was one of the worst things that I've ever seen on TV is a bit cruel. But it would also be accurate. And I really hate it. I hate the fact that all these adaptations have a wealth of stories to tell from their original source material. And they're choosing to forego all of that. And they're trying to write their own thing. And there's, look, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with an original idea. But you can't have it both ways. You either use an original idea or you use an adaptation. A mixture of both is a difficult thing. It's not impossible. Not impossible. Because the original Resident Evil movies, you know, the Paul W.S. Anderson ones, the ones with Mila Jovovich or Jojovich, however you say her name. Those movies aren't exactly, it's not exactly Citizen Kane, you know. But, but those movies are entertaining. Those movies are interesting in comparison to what Netflix gave us. What Netflix gave us was garbage. And I could probably sit here another hour and tell you why, but I, I really chose not to. I made the decision to say, you know what, I gave you guys an hour, I can see that you're not really going anywhere, and I'm not going to give you any more of my time. Do I feel guilty about this? I do. I really do. Because that isn't my way. It's not how I do things. And even now, I think to myself, well, maybe I can go back, I can watch the second and the third episode, maybe I can see a glimmer of hope that the writers had, you know, they had this idea and they just weren't given time and it didn't work and reacting to the lukewarm reception of the fans, Netflix simply decided to say, okay, you know what, we gave you guys a chance, it didn't work, uh, we're moving on. And that's, you know, they have every right to do that, it's their money, and they don't have a lot of it. They have to spend it wisely. I think that they're just trying to throw money at any idea that seems interesting because they're looking for uh, their next big thing. They understand that Stranger Things is coming to an end. Because that's really what held them up for a long time. It was their original content. It was Stranger Things. And I'm trying to think right now of another Netflix original series that was just as good. I guess their documentaries are really good. But an original series? Look, I'm sure they exist. I'm sure they're out there. I'm not as big of a Netflix binge watcher as I used to be and uh, well the reasons for that we'll get to them eventually on this podcast but they just it's different the way things are being made is different to the point where if you don't hit the home run on the first at bat it's just not gonna work out and if the fans see that, if the viewers are aware, then hopefully the producers of whatever it is they're going to work on next, I hope those guys also understand 
that the pressure is bigger than ever now. That if they want the second season, the show has to be good right from the get-go. Promises are not good enough. Not anymore. Not for them. And that's a shame. Because this was supposed to be a different way of watching a television. This was supposed to be a move away from the big studios. You know, those executives. The people who control TV 20 years ago. 30 years ago. Where those were the rules. You have to be good because you're competing for people's time. Because there's no way for people to watch something on their own time. It has to be at 7. It has to be at 8. You have to be good enough. You know, whatever's on channel 11, that has to be good enough. Otherwise, people will tune into channel 4. How can we beat friends? Right? Oh, I didn't even like friends. Okay. I saw it. I saw enough of it. But I wasn't a fan of it. I, I liked how somebody who also wasn't a fan, not my idea, but I'm going to say it now. And this one person said, you know, Friends takes place in New York. And it was taking place during the 9-11 events, you know, September 11, 2001. The show was filming. The timeline is set in the time. That's my phone. I'm not editing that out. I don't know why people are trying to reach out to me right now. But there it is. And there's not one mention of the events of September 11, 2001. Not a single one. Nothing. And I thought that was funny. That it hurt this person that much. This real life event was not mentioned in this fictitious TV series. I thought about that and for a while I was mad about that too until I realized well, what do I care? They can tell their story however it is they want to tell their story. I'm not a fan anyway. But things were supposed to be different. They were supposed to change, right? But the idea of video on demand, watching things whenever you wanted to. Um, there was this idea of competing, competition. It was supposed to be gone and yet this is where we're at again. You got all these services now fighting for your time and making all these TV series and you know none of them are really attractive. The last one that I watched on Netflix that I was somewhat excited for was um, Cowboy Bebop the live action. Trust me when I say you'll definitely get a review from me about what happened there because I don't know what happened. I'm still trying to figure out what happened. But something definitely happened. Closing statements. I hope that you, all of you, are doing well. And that whatever endeavors you chose to do on this particular day, I hope you got them done. If there was something that you were unable to do, don't beat yourself up too bad about it. There's always tomorrow. And that's the cool thing about life. That's the cool thing about nature itself. Is that no matter what we think is important, the sun will set. 
and it will rise again and the birds will chirp again and life will continue even if we don't do something it will always continue it will always go on so there's always a chance for us to be happy we just have to go after that that's really what you should prioritize in life you should prioritize being happy you should prioritize spending time with your family because at the end of the day no one on their deathbed ever said i wish i worked more right no one really says that it's all about oh i didn't spend enough time with my family well don't think about it then think about it now and do things right now we've got a lot planned for you guys with this little series i have so many topics that i want to talk to you about we could probably talk about a third one but then it really would have ran for over an hour and that's not the point of this it's a little talk it's not a big talk you know so thank you again my friends i am so very glad to have this opportunity to talk with you all take care of yourselves be well you know live long and prosper all that stuff goodbye